You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, what greater act of service and worship than to simply say, Lord, here's my heart. Lord, here's, here's everything. Here's my life. And I commit it to you, Lord. And Lord, we know that we are a work in progress. And we know, dear Lord, there are so many glitches and downfalls and mistakes and failures in our past. We know, dear Lord, that we battle with demons. We know that, dear Lord, sometimes it can be very difficult to live out the holy Christian life in a world that seems to be so fallen. And that's where grace and mercy and unfailing love come in because they pick us up. They mend us. They make us. And we praise you, Lord. You alone are worthy to be praised. Lord, we ask you to cleanse us. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. Cleanse me of anything, dear Lord, that has come into my ears, in my eyes, come out of my mouth, anything that would hinder me to, to right now from preaching your word. Make our hearts, dear Lord, fertile, ground, sensitive to the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us truth. And Lord, we give you the glory. You alone, again, are worthy. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. And I tell you what great worship, what great songs. And I want you to take your Bible. We're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture, one out of Joshua Joshua chapter 1 where we've spent a couple of weeks and then last week we kind of moved into Genesis chapter 45 beginning at verse 1 reading through verse 8. Now I want you to, while you're turning, maybe you could just look up here for a moment. I want you to look, anybody, uh, for some people you may not, you may have no idea what in the world is that. You may think, well that looks like a white cloth. But that's a diaper. Uh, That's a cloth diaper. Now to some of the younger parents, this may be alien territory. You, you've never seen this before. Uh, Amy, our oldest, uh, we used this on her because Sheila said we were too poor to buy disposable diapers, so we use cloth diapers. Now, cloth diapers are, um, they're real soft, they're real nice. You gotta learn how to fold them. You gotta learn how to pin them. And a lot of times you'll accidentally poke the child while you're trying to pin the diaper because they're kicking and moving around. And a cloth diaper, um, a cloth diaper, when they get it dirty, and I think you know what I mean, when they have a poo-poo diaper, uh, you don't throw this sucker away. You go to the toilet, and you grab that sucker. This is me when I had to do it. You, you do it like that over the toilet, and you go up and down in the toilet while you're flushing it. Up and down, up and down. And uh, every once in a while, you lose one. It goes right on down into the toilet. And you do that, and you do that over and over again. Now, they, these, for the, these are for the real tough ones. These are for the real moms. Because dads, we do like this, and we, we look for somewhere to put it. This is mom. She'll reach down in there, and then finally she'll do this. You know. You know. But there's another thing that, that, a, that a cloth diaper does. Now, a, a, cloth diaper is, a cloth diaper is used for a lot of things, but this is another one. Now, that's, that's a burp rag. 
And, and a lot of times when you were feeding a baby and, and, and you had to burp them, you'd put them up there, but you did this because you did not want what? You didn't want to spit up. And, and believe you me, some of these moms tell you their kids didn't spit up, their kids threw up all down their back. So you learn how to, you know, this thing was just a great tool. It was just something good to have. Now, a lot of times in life, when I'm counseling, sometimes I feel like this is what I ought to do. Because you see, a lot of times in life, you and I can become the victim. Everything's about us. Everything's about the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, things that have gone wrong in my life, things that didn't work out. And before long, I almost feel like, you know, in counseling somebody, you just need a burp rag. And just say, come here a moment, let's just, you know. Now, that may be offensive to you, and I don't want to offend you, because let me tell you, life is tough, and there are a lot of bad things that happen to good people. There are a lot of things that are not right. They're not fair, and you have every right to feel the pain and the hurt that you feel. So I'm not making light of that. I'm just simply telling you that sometimes if we're not careful, we get trapped in that. We've been doing a series called Changes, and I wrote this down over the last couple of weeks. God has reminded us that change cannot come until we understand and process the pain of our past. Sometimes you and I can't move forward. We can't move forward because of some stuff that's in our past that we can't seem to work through, that we can't reconcile. We talked about Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. God tells Joshua, he says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now listen, God's never saying anything for small talk. This, had a we this was a weighty matter for God to say to Joshua, Joshua, you're getting ready to lead these people into the promised land. You're getting ready to take over Moses' leadership. Moses is dead, and you've got to step up now and be the man that God's called you to be. But Joshua, for 40 years in the wilderness, had been under Moses, in the shadow of this charismatic figure. He had a lot of baggage that came out of the life of Moses. One of them was Moses' temper. So the reality is, is that Joshua is reluctant. And in Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, at Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. Verse 5, skip down to verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here it is. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Say that with me. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Here it is again. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. And down all the way down there, verse 9, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I've said it again and again that, that Joshua appears to be reluctant to take the leadership here. God's almost having to convince him. 
Three times God tells them to be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous. You're not going anywhere without me. I'm going with you. I'll be there with you. And hey, Moses is dead. I wrote this down, Joshua. All the trials of 40 years in the wilderness, all the struggles of being the second in command, uh, walking in the shadow of Moses, all the baggage of Moses, probably more so his temper, had conditioned it had made Joshua perhaps more timid and reluctant to step into this position of leadership. Now listen to this. I want you to hear this. God had a purpose and a plan in the life of Joshua. Even in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Listen, everybody listen. Joshua was not the one who, said, who doubted God, who lacked faith, who said we can't go into the promised land. Joshua was the one along with Caleb that said we can go into the promised land. God will give us this land. But listen, for 40 years, Joshua, though obedient, was walking with a disobedient people. And, and so Joshua... Joshua almost had to be coerced by God to step up and be the leader. But listen to this. God had a purpose in all of this. He was seasoning Joshua as a leader. He was giving Joshua insight, wisdom, experience. He was giving him a knowledge in how to lead the Jewish people. Joshua was going to school in order to get prepared for what God was calling him to do. Young people, listen to me. Sometimes you want to take a shortcut. I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to training. I don't want to go to college. I don't want to do this. I just want to do this. Listen, sometimes you have to get the education. You have to go to school. You have to meet those requirements in order to get the credentials to do what God's called you to do. I hope you heard me. I wrote this principle down. Everything you and I have gone through, everything that Joshua went through was to prepare him and to prepare you and I for God's purpose, God's plan for your life and my life. God was equipping Joshua to be a different leader than Moses. He was not to be a Moses part two. God wanted Joshua to lead these people and he wanted him to be different. I wrote this down. I'm trying to move quickly. There was a problem in Moses' leadership and perhaps one more reason that God appears to have to reassure Joshua and to remind him that Moses is dead because Moses often reacted to people rather than leading them. Now I want you to hear me. This is critical. If you want to be an effective parent, you better learn how rather than reacting to your children, you respond to them. There's a big difference. You know, Moses killed an Egyptian, hit him in a shallow grave, and then ran for his life. Spent 40 years in the Midian wilderness. Moses broke the stone tablets when he came down off the mountain, those that had been written by God because he was reacting to the situation. Moses struck the rock and claimed uh, himself the power that was delivering the water out of the rock. And at that point, God said, it's over. You can't go into the promised land. Moses had a temper. Moses had some shortcomings, and I want you to hear me. God was using Moses to influence Joshua to be a better leader. God was saying to Joshua, Joshua, I don't want you to be the same that Moses was. Moses is dead. I don't want that kind of leader. 
who reacts to the people. I want you to respond. I want you to lead them. Parent, there's a big difference. Moses had allowed the people to control him rather than he control them. You know, parent, a lot of times you and I, we react to our children rather than responding to them. And that's a tragedy. And sometimes we fail to be the leader that God's called us to be to because we allow people to bring a reaction out of us that we don't like. You ever do allow that? You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? And so God was saying to, to Joshua, Joshua, I need you to be a different kind of leader. And everything that you've gone through has been in order to repair you prepare you and make you a capable leader and I need you to be strong and courageous but the reality is is that how do you do that you know I titled this message John asked me he said what do you want to title this message I said probably last week's message only call it part two how do you move from from the hurts and the pains in our past how do you move forward and begin to em embrace change and move on with your life? That's the question. How do you do that? Because there are people that are hurting. And there are people that honestly, in all reality, they are asking that question, how do I move on? And I want you to look at Genesis 45, and I want you to see this. This is a remarkable man. I don't have time to get deeply into it. But in, in, in Genesis chapter 45, and I love this, this is the story of Joseph. Now let me tell you real quickly. Jacob had 12 sons. He had, he had two wives and two concubines. He had 12 sons who would make up the patriarchal leadership of the 12 tribes of Israel. His youngest son at this time was a young man named Joseph. You remember he made a coat of many colors. He loved Joseph. Joseph was the son of the woman that he loved, Rachel. The one that he had intended to marry. The one, the one that he had worked so hard to Laban, his father-in-law, to gain the ability to marry Rachel. He and Rachel had a son. His name was Joseph. And Jacob loved Joseph. And one day Jacob called Joseph and he said, Joseph, I need you to go find out and check on your brothers because they were leading the flocks. I want you to go check on your brothers. So here's Joseph in his coat of many colors. He goes out and that coat of many colors basically said this, it is not Reuben, it is Joseph who will be the primary, the primary one to gain the inheritance at my death. He was in a prominent position, Joseph. His brothers see Joseph, they hate him. They feel like he's favored. They hate him. They don't like him. And so guess what they do? They hatch this lie. And they take their brother Joseph and they throw him down in a pit. They were going to kill him. Reuben intervenes, the oldest. Reuben intervenes. Reuben says, we can't do that. So they sell him to Ishmaelite traders who were on their way to Egypt. And Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. They didn't, they didn't, they take the coat of many colors, they kill a lamb, they put blood on that coat, they go back to Jacob and they say, is this the coat of your son? He goes, and Jacob begins to cry. And Jacob weeps and they say, undoubtedly he was killed by a wild animal. 
Joseph goes down and he's sold into slavery and he's bought by a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar brings him into his household. God's hand is on Joseph and before long Joseph is able to, he literally is the steward, the manager of Potiphar's entire household. This officer in the Egyptian army literally turned everything over to Joseph because the hand of God was on Joseph. But Potiphar had a wife and this woman was something else. She was drawn to Joseph and one day she keeps over and over and over again trying to seduce, trying to pull him, trying to get him to go to bed with her. And finally one day all the rest of the servants and slaves are not in the household. Potiphar's wife is in there reclining on the couch. Joseph comes up as a slave doing what he normally does. She grabs him, he pulls away from her, and he leaves his coat. She then says to Potiphar, this slave you bought has brought great heartache to me and ultimately Potiphar throws him in prison. Listen to this, he's in prison for 12 years. For 12 years of his life, he's falsely accused in prison and I can tell you this much, it was probably a very tough prison to be in. Guess what happens? Young people, listen to this. In the prison, he becomes the steward, the manager of the prison. The prison warden sees the hand of God on him and begins to make him the authority, the rule. He, it's like he's running the prison. One day the baker, one day the baker and the wine tester of Pharaoh who have been put into prison, they have dreams and, they and it troubles them. Joseph looks at them and says, what's wrong? They say, we've had a bad dream. He interprets their dreams and it, it, they come true exactly the way he interpreted them. The baker is killed by Pharaoh and the cupbearer three days later is restored to his position. Now stay with me. When the cupbearer is getting ready to leave the prison, Joseph said, don't forget about me. Remember me when you get back into that position. The wine tester, the one who tests the wine before Pharaoh will drink it for poison. The wine cupbearer to the Pharaoh forgets him. Two more years, he's in prison, forgotten. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And in that moment, the cupbearer says, there's a Jew, there's a Hebrew slave. He can interpret your dream. Joseph is given the second most powerful position in all the Egyptian government, second only to Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh when Pharaoh begins to talk about his dream, Joseph said there'll be seven years of plenty. Crops, are gonna, crops will just boom. But then Pharaoh's seven years of famine are coming. It's already set on God's schedule. And Pharaoh, I would find me an administrator, one who can do this to administrate and oversee and run this so that the people do not starve to death during the seven years of famine. And Joseph becomes the manager, the steward of all of Egypt. Guess what happens in Israel? Jacob. He's long since grieved the death of Joseph. He's let go of Joseph. He's gone on with his life. 
but the famine hits, and all of a sudden he looks at his sons and he says, hey guys, you guys need to get on down to Egypt because down in Egypt, uh, I hear they, they've got plenty and we can still get. So he sends some gifts and produce and he sends his sons down there and all of a sudden the steward, the manager, second in command, comes walking out one day as people are coming from all over the world to draw from the vats and the wealth of Egypt and all the granary that Egypt had stored away. And this, this Egyptian manager, second to Pharaoh, sees these Jewish men, young men coming in. And he recognizes they are his brothers. You can go back and read the story. How Joseph creates this scenario of bringing them under judgment and then bringing to the point of recognition, recognition where finally he reveals himself, I'm the brother you sold into slavery. Listen to what he says here. This is when he reveals himself. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph, when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, he said, I am Joseph. Is my, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. And now do not, listen to this, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wow, wow. How do you heal? How do you heal how do you heal from the wounds and the, and, the, and, the, and the scabs that may be all over you? How do you heal from somebody who betrayed you and sold you out? How do you heal? How do you heal? How do you get well again? How do you move on with your life? How do you let go of a relationship? How do you heal the wounds of a, of a parent who ripped and tore you down and neglected you and put you off and you never quite measured up? How do you do it? How do you get beyond that? Because too many people sit down and they say, Pastor, tell me how to change. How do I move on? How did Joseph do it? Listen. Number one, Joseph saw a sovereign God in control of his life. Joseph saw his brothers and their cruel act of betrayal. Listen to this. Joseph saw his brothers and their act of betrayal as a tool in the hand of God in which God was doing something bigger than Joseph's personal loss. Can you take your eyes off your hurt long enough to see God's plan. 
Joseph Saul's brothers. This act of betrayal is a tool, a tool in the hand of God in which a sovereign God was doing something bigger than Joseph's personal loss. In, Re in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says there, well, let's turn over there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, because this is worth going back into the, into the New Testament from Genesis. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, listen to what Paul said. And he's coming to a summary. Ledge, he's like a lawyer who's been building a case. And in, 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 in chapter 12 now, it's his closing arguments. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now watch this. Parents, do not conform any longer to the pattern of, pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing will. You know what Paul was saying? He was simply saying this. God is in the business of conforming, shaping, molding you and I into his son. It's about his sovereign plan, his purpose, his will, what God wants to do in your life. Listen, let me, let me read it again. Listen to these thoughts. See those difficult situations in your past, difficult people in your past, those who have hurt you possibly as tools in the hand of a sovereign God by which he was chipping away everything that did not look like Jesus. Personality flaws that may be robbing you of relationships and opportunities. God is trying desperately to chip that away and make you into the new person he wants you to be. There's a sovereign God in control of your life and my life. He is reigning. And he has a purpose and a plan and a will and a direction. And parent, listen to me. Don't go to sleep on me. Dad, that's you getting by the bed. That's you kneeling down by the bed of your son and your daughter and praying God's presence down over your child. Oh, God, help me to understand your sovereign will, your plan, your purpose, and not mine. How could Joseph get beyond all the hurt and pain and sorrow that he'd been through? He recognized and he told his brothers, he said, a sovereign God was in control. Secondly, God is not about my pain, but your plan. God is not about my, my pain. God, it's about your plan. Did you hear that? I wrote this down. Some people can never move on. They can never change. Their life is all about their, life is all about their pain. Their life is all about what I've been through, what somebody's done to me, how I've been cheated, how I've been wronged. It's all about me. They're focused on their pain. They're victim. And they can't move beyond it. And you may say, Brother Jeff, you look mighty silly up there with that burp cloth. You're exactly right. And for anybody who sees their life and sees themselves as nothing but a victim, my friend, they will do an enormous amount of damage to innocent people who had nothing to do with their pain. Nothing at all. You see, when we get a victim mentality, when we become a victim, victims never heal. You can't counsel a victim. 
People will use this statement. Listen to this statement. This is, un, this is unchristian. A victim of my circumstances. You ever hear people say that? Is an alien concept to the Christian. We don't believe that. We believe, listen, we believe that God's sovereign even over my pain, even over my hurt, even in my past. You know what Sheila will say a lot of times? Married at 16 years of age in an abusive marriage, went through hell. Talks about what she went through. I heard her say just in the last two or three days to somebody she was talking to, they said, Sheila, would you go back and change that? You know what Sheila said? She said, I don't know. She said, because I don't know that I would be the person that I am today had I not gone through that. You ever feel like that sometimes? You see, listen, God doesn't want you to stay in your pain. God wants you to understand there's a purpose in your pain. That's what Joseph knew. Joseph said to his brothers who were terrified, they thought he was getting ready to kill all of them. He said, listen, you didn't send me down here to Egypt. God did. You weren't sovereign. It wasn't your decision. You weren't guiding my life. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, you, this wasn't the tail wagging the dog here. It wasn't you. It's was a sovereign God. God was always in control. God had a purpose and a plan. You know, I've told my children this. Now, forgive me, I'm about to cuss. But I raised my four children to, in, in this. I, I said, listen, there are going to be times in your life you're going to get hurt. I said, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get mistreated. You're going to get slighted. Somebody else is going to get the promotion. Somebody else is going to get the position. Somebody else is going to embezzle, cheat. Somebody else is going to take you down. Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to fire you. Somebody's going to result in you being terminated. There's going to be a lot, a lot of things that are going to happen in your life, and they are not fair, and you're right, but never be the victim. I said, first of all, understand this. God is doing something in your life. Even through that person, learn to see that person as a tool in the hand of God by which God's trying to do something in your life. Secondly, remember this, people don't give a crap. You know, when you cuss to a teenager, they really look up. And you may say, well, you know, Brother Jeff, that's, that's kind of a strong word. And a lot of churches, I couldn't say that. They'd fire me, terminate you, you may do it. But let me tell you, that's sometimes what you need to say to kids, especially when they get teenagers, especially when they're young adults. When they start poor mouth and looking at you, talking about how hard it is, and look how much better some of the other kids have it, and they got this, and they got that, and I don't have those opportunities. Oh, poor old me. Son, come over here. Let's just put the burp cloth on me. Let's just burp you. Some people are alcoholics, drunks, drug addicts, caught up in sexual immorality. And my friend, their excuse is, well, it, life's not fair. You're right. It's not. It's not. But sometimes you have to look at people and you have to say, quit being the victim. Be the victor. God has a plan and a purpose. Ledge and I sat, Ledge and I sat across the table from people I, I would say are millionaires. Millionaires. I may need my burp cloth. 
And uh, they started telling the story. This guy's telling this story. Now, he's a prominent businessman, very, very smart. And one thing that his son said, he said, the people who are, that are billionaires who are worth over $7 billion, with a B dollars, they listen to us when it comes to the restaurant business and industry. And then they told this story. The guy sitting across from me in his mid-70s, both of them in Ohio, both of them played football. The guy sitting across from me was a receiver. The guy, his, his best friend was a quarterback. His best friend, the quarterback, through college, was poor as poor as poor as poor could be. He was dirt poor. The guy sitting across from me, the millionaire, he said, hey, I grew up on the side of the tracks more fluent. His son agreed. My buddy, my best friend, he was poor as dirt, grew up on the other side of the tracks. They both grew up side by side. The poor, struggling, under a single parent home, trying to make ends meet, is today worth about $7 billion. Let me tell you, I can tell you how he got there. I can tell you how he did not get there. He never saw himself as a victim. You see, I wrote this down. Until you get your eyes off your pain, you can't move forward to God's plan. You can't do it. What is going to, what will it take to get you to move forward? Now listen to this. Imagine Joseph had been in prison. He said, well, things are never going to be any better. Uh, yeah, maybe he did seminars. Maybe he made a movie called, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And, you know, angry at his brothers, bitter at his brothers. You know, but listen, Joseph refused to be a victim. And you may say, well, you don't know what I've been going through. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what people have done to me. I eat, I eat lunch with a man, a dear friend of mine, who had a quarter of a million dollars embezzled from him, whose only son was killed in a car accident, and it wasn't his son's fault. And he sits there and he glows Jesus in Cracker Barrel. He just radiates the love of God. And you know, what he, you know what he's depending on? The sovereignty and the will of God. My friend, I wrote this down. We all have scars. Quit looking at your scars and start looking at his. Proverbs 21, 30 says this, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can't succeed, that can succeed against the Lord. There's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. You want to be on the Lord's side. Proverbs 20, 24, a man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own ways? Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that repair. Prevails. That's what Joseph understood. God, you're sovereign, you're in control, even of my pain, even of the hurts and stuff that I've gone through. Joseph began to see his life in a much bigger plan. He began to see even his personal hurt. And that's you and I. 
If we remain, I wrote this down, if we remain in our pain, listen to this, we begin to project that onto others who are innocent. If we have pain from our past, distrust, anger, hurt, pain, whatever it may be, we project it on our future, project it on innocent people, and listen, they're paying the cost for something a long time ago that happened. I remember, I told you, my mom had her issues. But I look just like my dad. I do. Even my sisters, sometimes they say, man, you look just like dad. Now you'd say, well, you know, that makes sense. You look like your dad. Do you know when it got me in trouble? When mom was mad at dad. You see, listen again, the danger, if we remain in our pain, we begin to project onto others our distrust, our anger, our hurt, our pain, and thereby we sabotage our future. We sabotage our future. We're neighbor, never able to do what God wants us to do because we're too much a victim. We, we're, hey, listen, we're still living in the past. We can't let go of it. It becomes our excuse. Listen, some people will never succeed in the future because they're too busy looking at the past and it's become their excuse. It's their, I can't do it. When I married Sheila, when I met Sheila, she, this was her statement. I'm going to live in an apartment in Jackson. I'm going to drive a Datsun 280Z. Some of you don't know what that is. And I will never have a man in my life again. I will never trust a man. And then I was like Andy Griffin. I'm here. I'm right here. Let me tell you something. I want you to listen. Prejudice is a form of this. The racial conflict right now in this country, let me tell you something. People are, people are promoting it. They're provoking it. They're building it. And they're doing it for the sake of a dollar. Prejudice is a form of this. You start projecting on an ethnicity, on a color, on a race, your hurt, your pain, whatever it is. We had an African-American church member who said to me recently about a family member. They said, this family member says coming to this church, meaning the white pastor, that, you're, that she was saying, they say that I'm brainwashed. You know what I said to her? I said, listen, you go back and you tell your family, Margaret Sanger, who created Planned Parenthood, believed in eugenics and was trying to get rid of your race. You tell that individual that Planned Parenthood's clinics are close to all minority communities. You tell your relative that 37% of all abortions are black. And you tell your relative, I've done my research and you've watched CNN. You and I cannot remain victims forever. We have to see the sovereign God. Thirdly, the principle of Romans 8, 28, and I know I need to close, for all things work together for the good of them who are called according to his purpose, to whom the Lord loves and are called according to his purpose. I wrote this down. When I begin to see my hurt, my pain, my betrayal, those cruel remarks that have been made, when I begin to see those scabs that are in my life, when I begin to see them in the hand of a loving Savior, then I begin to deal with them in a much different way.
Joseph understood Romans 8, 28. He said to his brothers, all things work together for good. Do you believe that? Do you realize that God is taking everything in your life, the good, the bad, and ugly, and, and taking that and weaving it into the tapestry of his will and his purpose and his plan? God is doing something in your life and in my life and we do not want to stay in that pain very long. I've got to close here. You know that old Disney song, Let It Go? You know, Let It Go. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful song in some ways. The song is powerful, Let It Go. You know, some of us, you know what we need to do? What do we need to do? Let It Go. You know, the idea of this cross over here, a lot of times you'll see people. I get, I always smile. Sometimes I'll see Caroline and Marge. You know, they're heading to the cross. I see Therese. I see Bill. I see some of you. You go to that cross, and you know that cross is a great place to let it go, to leave it there, to say, God, you're sovereign. You're in control. God, help me to quit looking at my scars. I don't want to look at my scabs. God, I want to see your scars, and your scars are far more than mine. You see, listen, I want you to stay with me. As long as we are a victim, we can't help anybody. You ever try to talk to somebody about your problem, they start talking about theirs? Hey, listen, when people want to tell you their problem before they even hear what you're trying to tell them, listen, they're victims. They're caught up in their own pain. They're so caught up in their own pain, they can't hear anybody else's pain. You see... When you begin to put the, your pain, your sorrow, your hurt in the hands of a sovereign God and you begin to see it, listen, from his perspective and you begin to understand it, then listen, a multiplicity, a multiplicity of ministry opens up. She married at 16, abused, mistreated, leave, the, leave in the middle of the night in an apartment because they couldn't pay the rent, husband dealing drugs, Life in absolute hell. Her dad one time with, the, with her uncle came to try to get her, to force her, to try to get her to leave, to come home. She was in Texas. She told him no. First husband killed for drug money. She talks about a time when she would steal. She's trying to get what she needed. You look at her now and you think, my God, that don't even look like our pastor's wife. Who is that? And Sheila said, that's that old person. I don't even know her anymore. But let me tell you what I've learned about her. First of all, I've learned she's the greatest pastor's wife I know on the earth. Secondly, this. When it's a hurting, abused, beaten up woman, her ability to minister to them is unbelievable. Why? Because she took those scars, those pains, those hurts, and knelt down by her dorm bed in the middle of a college dormitory and gave her life to Jesus Christ. And when she did that, God said, wow, let me show you what I'm getting ready to do now with Sheila. See, God wants to use you. He wants to use me. Let me invite you to stand. Let me pray for you. Maybe today, right now, his heads are bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest. Let me ask you a question. I want you to listen closely. Number one, I want to ask you this question. Do you know that you know, you don't even have to raise your hand because we're live streamed. But do you know that you know right now that you're a Christian? You just answer that in your heart. Do you know that? 
Because if you don't know that, that's the beginning. That's the first thing. And you may say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't know what I've done. I love the woman at the well. I love this, this uh, series called The Chosen. The woman at the well. You know what she ran back into after having that encounter with Jesus? Do you know what she was running back into the town telling everybody? Come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. And yet he still loves me. <laughs> wow. Have you given your heart and life to Christ? Do you know for certain if you died, you'd spend eternity in heaven? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is taking up residence in your life, living in you? Do you feel the presence of Jesus Christ in you? Do you feel a power that you can't even explain getting you through your pain, sorrow, and hurt? If you don't feel that, I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ if you've never done that. Secondly, I want you to do this. I want to ask you a question. If right now there's a hurt, a pain, a sorrow, something you've gone through, somebody's wounded you, somebody's hurt you, say, Brother Jeff, it is still a fresh scab. I can't seem to get over it. I can't shake it. It's changed how I see myself. Listen, that's what happens. Sometimes those people hurt us so bad we don't even see ourselves anymore in a good light. They've, they've ripped us apart. They've made us not believe in ourselves at all. We don't believe in ourselves at all. And Christ said, I need you to get over that because I believe in you. Everybody look this way. That's what you want, Jesus Christ believing in you. You're not here by mistake. You're not a fluke of nature. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your DNA, billions of DNA. He created you. You've got a purpose and a plan and a will. You're here by divine appointment. God loves you. And God wants you to move on because he's got so much he wants you to do. Did you hear that? But you've got to let go. And you've got to let God. Let me finish this prayer. Lord, I pray right now that you wrap your arms around the men and women in this room. I pray, dear Lord, for young people, boys and girls. I pray, dear Lord, for teenagers. I pray, dear Lord, for those that may be watching by live stream. I pray for those that need to hear this message, that some may share it and put it out there so others may know. And I pray, dear Lord, today that this would be a day of victory, a day of surrender, a day of saying, Lord Jesus, here I am. I give it all to you. God, help me not to look at my pain. Help me to see your purpose. God, help me not to look at my scars. Help me to see your scars. And God, help me to begin to live my life. Help me change. Help me believe. Help me trust you. Help me move forward. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.